0: had been remanded in custody for two years, down in a place called Saesarea. And King Agrippa with his wife came down to Saesarea to pay his respects to Festus. Festus had now become the newly appointed governor of Judea. And while he was speaking to Agrippa and Agrippa was speaking to Festus, The conversation or the topic came up about Paul. And Festus was explaining to Agrippa about Paul's testimony about some dead man that had come to life. And so this got Agrippa's attention. And Agrippa said to Festus, I want to meet this guy and I want to hear it for myself. And so the very next day, they, they marched Paul in chains. In fact, most of his letters or many of his letters were written while he was in, in, in prison. And that's why he called himself a bondman. A man that was in chains. He wrote m- many of his letters to the, to the believers. And so they bring Paul out and Paul begins to give his testimony in front of all that were present. In particular, it was Festus and King Agrippa. And while he was, and this, this is up in uh, Acts chapter 26, Acts chapter 26, and while he was giving his testimony, Festus breaks out and he interrupts him and he says, now in verse 24, now as he thus made his defense, Festus says with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has made you go mad. You're nothing but an educated fool. And Paul looks at Festus and he says, no, I'm not mad, Festus. I haven't lost my mind. And I know the, the way that King Agrippa has been paying a close attention to what I'm saying. I know that he is under conviction. In fact, he says there in verse, in verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And, and without even waiting for King Agrippa to respond, he says, he answers it for himself and he says, I know you believe. I know it. I know you believe, Agrippa. I know you believe that what I'm saying is true. And then King Agrippa thinks for a moment and then he responds to Paul in verse 28 and he says, then he said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Obviously, he could see the marked distinction between that of a Christian and a non-Christian. I wonder if we can say the same thing today. And so he says, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost, I looked up that word almost. Almost means nearly, not quite. A friend of mine entered a running race many years ago. He blitzed the field, took off, and he was running down towards the, the finish line. And 20 meters before he finished, his legs became jelly and he fell over and he could not move. He almost made it, but he didn't quite get there. It was as good as him not running that race at all. And so here we find that King Agrippa said almost I'm nearly convicted or convinced to be a Christian. But he never quite made it. It was as good as not choosing to be a Christian. In the Webster's Dictionary, I looked it up with the uh, the definition of what a Christian is. What is a Christian? And it says, A person professing belief in Jesus as the Christ or in the religion based on the teaching of Jesus. Now, that's a good start, I believe, and, it's, and it gives a good indication of what a Christian is. But I still firmly believe that it falls somewhere short of, of the biblical definition of what a genuine Christian really is. So what then is a Christian? We're here today because we profess to be Christians. What is a Christian? Before I answer that, I'd like to explain what a Christian isn't. What a Christian isn't. There was this guy. He was unemployed and uh, he he had been unemployed for quite some months. Every day, he would go down to the news agency, get the newspaper, and go through the job section. And this particular day, he found that there was a job going down at the local zoo. And so he puts his uh, paper under his arm, goes down to the zoologist, I guess you call him the zoologist, and he said, listen, I'm here to apply for this job. Uh, and the guy said, look, I'm sorry, that job has been taken. And uh, and so as this guy, we'll call him Joe, as Joe was about to leave, uh, the zoologist said, listen, I've noticed that you're a, quite a big guy. You know our gorilla died three weeks ago, and um, would you would you be interested would you be interested if 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 you took if 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 we if we got the uh, gorilla suit, would you be prepared to jump into this gorilla suit and play the part of a gorilla until we find a, a genuine replacement? Would you be interested? And he said, "Well, listen, I haven't had much work, haven't had much success, so yeah, I'll take the job." So he comes down and two days later, gets into this gorilla suit, and they said, "Look, the previous gorilla was really intelligent, Lord. He was very intelligent um, uh, gorilla. He used to climb up this ladder. He would run around." the top of this lion's den and then he'd come back down he, and, and, and he would do three shows a day. Everybody loved it. Everybody loved it. And so what we need you to do is we need you to show a little bit more intelligence. So take out a blackboard. Every time you do a show, you take this blackboard out. You write one plus one equals two. Climb up the ladder, run around the lion's den, you come back down. Can you do that for three times a day in the show? He goes, yeah, sure, I can do that. So he goes out there and he begins the show. Now this gorilla before him was the star attraction. So he had a lot, he had some big, big uh, boots to fill. And so he gets out there and he pulls out the blackboard and he writes one plus one equals two, climbs up the ladder, runs around the den and he does this day after day after day and the crowds were packed. They were loving this gorilla. And he was loving his brand new job. And so every day he'd pull out that blackboard until this particular day, this was the biggest crowd he had ever seen. He pulls out that blackboard, writes one plus one equals two, climbs up the ladder, runs around the, uh, the, the lion's den. But this particular time he lost his footing and he landed into the lion's den. And so now he's standing there and he's looking eye to eye with this lion. and He's wondering, man, if I scream, everybody's gonna know I've been a fraud. And so he begins beating his chest and jumping up down like a gorilla, trying to distract and keep the lion away from him. But every time he did that, the lion kept coming closer and closer until finally he came so close, he just yelled out, Help! The lion comes right up into his ear and says, Shut up, idiot, before we both get fired. OK, may, maybe it's not a true story, but the, the point of the story, the point of the story, is that there are a lot of people running around in gorilla suits trying to pretend to be something that they are not beating their chests, swinging on vines, pretending to be gorillas when they're not really gorillas. And there are a lot of people that are attending church today, swinging, well, I shouldn't say swinging, but holding their Bible, carrying their hymn books, pretending to be Christians when they're not really Christian. I know all about the Bible. And I pray And that makes me a Christian. Well, it may may be an indication that you are a Christian, but there are many out there professing to be a Christian. They profess to be a Christian when they are filing for a divorce, when there is no grounds for a genuine divorce. They profess to be a Christian when they are committing adultery. They profess to be a Christian when they are committing fraud. They profess to be a Christian when they are ripping God off in tithes and offerings. So what then is a Christian? How can I tell if you in front of me here today and those here at our home, how can I tell if you are a Christian? How can you tell if I am a Christian? Well, Dwayne, you're a Christian because you wear a suit and you preach every week and you take Bible studies and you run evangelistic seminars. Well, that that may be an indication that I'm a Christian, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I am one. If you were taken to court for being a Christian, would there be enough hardcore evidence to prove without a shadow of a doubt that that and, and convict you that you are a Christian and when I say that I don't mean to say how many three abn stickers you have on the back of your bumper bar or, or or how many times you watch Hope channel or or how many Bibles you have in your home or how many seminars you've attended or or how long and eloquent your prayers are that's not what I'm suggesting would there be enough evidence in your life to show the world that you are and I am a genuine Christian? In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, Paul was writing to the Corinthian believers because there was some trouble down there. And so he writes this and he says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. What Paul is saying is, take a rain check on yourself. Examine yourselves to see if you are grounded in the faith that you have. take regular checkups and make sure that Jesus Christ is in you and if he isn't if you fail the test if you find yourself disqualified then do something about it we can be active in ministry we can look successful we can grow the church we can especially when it comes to the clergymen And we can run so many Bible studies and preach so many meetings and and the churches can grow and grow and grow. It doesn't necessarily mean that we are Christians. What do you mean, Dwayne? Well, it's not me that's saying it. It's actually the Bible. Notice what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. The Bible says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall, shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never what? I never knew you Depart from me you who practice lawlessness So we can have a thriving ministry Could you imagine Imagine if Pastor Lloyd and myself have a ministry going Where, 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 where we've got a deliverance ministry And we're casting out demons And we're prophesying And the church is growing and growing and then we get to the end of life's journey And God says depart from me I never knew you Why? Because it was just a one track relationship we professed to know him. But Jesus says, I don't know you. And yet, look, Lord, look at everything that we have done. Surely this was enough to get me into the heavens. The words of Jesus in verse 20, he said, therefore, by your fruits, you will know them. Imagine if you had a fruit tree, if we're talking about fruits, you come home at the end of the week, and you've got the spiritual fruit tree, and the, and 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 uh, it's the guardian angel. Your guardian angel is looking after the spiritual fruit, fr- fruit tree for you. And so you get there on the Friday afternoon, just before Sabbath, to see how it's looking. And what do you find? Lo and behold, you find dangling from the fruit tree, the spiritual fruit tree, is that you had road rage this week, or that you had a neighbor, a, 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 an argument with the neighbor. Or that you've had some lustful thoughts. Or that you've ripped God in having time with him, ripped him off. You find dangling off the tree. That you've been gossiping about somebody else and, 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 and I won't sit over this side because I don't get along, uh, with this person on this side. Therefore, I'm going to sit on this side and I won't go to lunch with that person because we don't agree with our doctrinal beliefs. And yet we come to church every week and sing our hallelujahs. What would our spiritual fruit tree look like, it reminds me of a child he had never seen a farm animal, never seen a farm animal and so his mother decides to take him out to the country because he had been in the city all his life so this little 7 year old goes out for a for a country drive with his mother and as they are driving he notices some animals out there in the paddock and he says to his mom, hey mum are those, are those animals out there are they Christians? And she said no of course not, they're horses Why do you ask if they're Christians? And he said, I just couldn't help notice, but they all have long faces. (laughs) Now, my friends, there are millions of people that will come to Jesus, but have never set foot in the church. Never. Never set foot in the church. You are going to be their best opportunity to ever know Jesus. But sometimes the way we are, if we come to church, we come to church, we sing praises and tears are rolling down our cheeks and we're just, we're just loving the fellowship and we, we we enjoy the lunches and we just enjoy the good old Bible study. And then we go to work on Monday like secret little agents. We don't want to let any and, and and this is how we answer the people when they say, What did you get up to for the weekend? Just say I just hung out with some friends in place of saying I went to church. All of a sudden we go into our shell and we just don't want to tell anybody that we're churches. So I'd rather just say I hung out with my friends and my family. Friends, what an insult to Jesus Christ. We've got to be careful with our long faces sometimes to make sure we lift it up, cheer it up, because we may be the best witness that a person will ever get to know about Jesus Christ. So what is it then that's missing? We can have intellectual knowledge. We can have experiential times in our Christian experience and not necessarily be a christian so what is it that's missing friends look at second corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 the bible says therefore if anyone is in christ he is a what a new creation all things have passed away behold all things become new and so so that spiritual fruit tree should start to look like um, you know there was kindness there was a helping hand. There was just some some, um, some time spent with the Lord. Tithes and offerings are going up in the household. And we're not beating up on the kids or losing our temper with our children. Because we have become a new creation. Old habits are dying away. New habits, we are starting to conform to Jesus Christ. Has this happened to you yet, my friends? Has this happened to you? Some believe that to be a Christian, you need to understand the book of Revelation. You need to understand the book of Revelation, Dwayne. You need to understand all the imagery and the seven-headed beast and the ten horns and and, and all the prophecies and the timelines. Then, and only then, will you become a Christian. My friends, let me ask you a question. What is the book of Revelation about? It's about Jesus Christ. The very first five words in the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So while it is important to have an understanding of prophecies, it is vitally important to understand your timelines and and some of our doctrines that are spoken of in Revelation. But it is most important, utmost important that we know about Jesus Christ. That is what is so often missing in our Christian experience. It's great to have an intellectual knowledge of Jesus, and it's great to have an experiential knowledge, but there's something else that we need, and I saw it this morning in our in our Bible study time, and it's found in John chapter 17 and verse 3. Let us look at John 17 and verse 3. The Bible says, And this is eternal life, that they may what? Know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, my friends, you may know the word of God. I may know the word of God, but do you know the God of the word? Do you know the God of the word? Knowing Jesus Christ, we can know him intellectually, we can have these experience, but unless we know Jesus Christ, we will fall short of eternal life. So what, in what way does it mean that we know Jesus? In what way does this mean? Look at Genesis chapter four and verse one. The Bible says, now Adam knew his wife Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. So did Adam, did he have an intellectual knowledge about Eve? Yes, he did. Did he have experiences with Eve? Of course, they worked the garden together. But don't sit there in your seats today and tell me that Adam went up to Eve, stuck out, stuck out his hand and said, hello, my name is Adam. And then boom, out comes Cain. You see, Adam and Eve were married and they had a very intimate relationship. And my friends, you and I, when Jesus, when he left heaven to come down to earth, he came down to pick up his, or to propose, I should say, he came down to propose to his bride, the church, all those who want to become a Christian. He came down and proposed to all those who want to become a Christian and those who do become his wife, his bride. And I can imagine, you're not going to find this in the Bible, but essentially what Jesus did was that he took a vow before his father and this is what he said. Father, I, Jesus Christ, take the sinner to be my wife, my lawful wedded wife, in sickness and in health, until death do I part. I will always be faithful. I will always be loyal. Has Jesus always been faithful and loyal? He is the true witness. And so when he came down and he proposed to the church, the church then turns around and, and, and that you, the choice is that we can accept the proposal or we can reject it. He's not going to force you. The Bible says that he stands at the door and he knocks. He doesn't kick it in. So you can either accept this proposal or reject it. You then, and I, as the sinners, we come up and we take that vow and we say, I, sinner, take Jesus Christ as my lawful, wedded husband till sickness, until death, until hell, health, I should say. <laughs> Sorry about that. Until health and till death do we part. Are we prepared to be loyalists to Jesus Christ? That is the ingredient for a great marriage. My friends, it's important to exalt Jesus Christ and have an intellectual knowledge. That's great. Because when we do, the truth sets you and I free and it leads us to eternal life. But we also, we also must know God in a very personal, intimate way. Now you're asking, well, how do I do that, Dwayne? Because I've never really experienced a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to give you a very simple answer to, to you today and to those who are at home watching this. A very simple answer. And the good news is you don't have to be a theologian, nor do you have to be a historian, nor do you have to go go to college, nor do you have to have a degree. If you want to have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, because we are married to Jesus. Simply this, when was the last time you had devotion? When was the last time you had 10 to 30 minutes of time with Jesus? When was the last time? that you, you you read a passage and it jumped out at you and you meditated on those those words or that passage for a few minutes and then spent some time on your knees in prayer when was the last time? Sometimes I see coffee Christians. You know what coffee Christians are? Coffee Christians are those who run out the door, don't have time for a decent breakfast, don't have time to kiss the wife goodbye, don't have time for anything but themselves. They grab a coffee, go to work, sip it down and carry on. And that's exactly how it is. Sometimes we call ourselves the, uh, the Christians and yet we run out the door, barely say, dear Jesus. When we get in the car, we ask him to look after us from here to work and then we tell him that we're going to see him at our next crisis. We will talk to him then. Could you imagine if you went down from Sydney to Melbourne with your spouse and never said a single word? What kind of a relationship is that? And in the end, you end up in divorce and one says, well, what's going on? I've done this and I've done that and I've done this. And the other person says, go away from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. You never had time, personal time with me. And that's how it is sometimes with Jesus Christ. We need that quiet time every day. The purpose is to have fellowship with Jesus. That's all it is. Jesus just wants you to just stop what you are doing, have some quiet time with Him, read some passage, and look, you've got Kurong, you've got ABC, you've got Word. There are scores of devotional books out there. We have no excuse. You can get those devotional that will take you day in and day out. A structured devotional planner that will take you through the Bible in a year, uh, but more importantly, it will help you fall in love with Jesus. That's what it means to have some personal time with Him. It works, my friends. And if you don't have time for that, go for a prayer walk. If you don't have time for that, write your prayer. If you don't have time for that, then pray in your car. Turn the radio off and start talking to Jesus, the one who died for you. Our worst enemy, our worst enemy in the western world is the television. Now I got some stats from America. uh, The average The average home in the United States of America has the TV on for seven hours and 40 minutes a day. The average American individual will watch four hours of TV every day. By the time they reach 18 years old, they have watched over 200,000 acts of violence, 16,000 including murders. By the time they get to 65 years of age, they have spent nine and a half years watching The Tube. My friends, does the world see Jesus in you? Does it see it in me? What do they see when they look at us? Remember, you are the best Christian that somebody will ever know. We have the gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. But what is the gospel to you? What is the gospel to me? In Mrs. White's dying words, her last words was, I know in whom I have believed, I know who, whom, in whom I have believed, I know it. My friends, my appeal to you today is simply this, do you know in whom you believe?